Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get away, feeling too good to me. Chilling all day, all in your space is where I wanna be. Here in this room, what did you do? I just can't get enough. Too caught up in your love. I've been trying to forget, but you won't let me. Something in my brain wants you. I've been hanging by myself, asking for help. Yeah, you, you are. 
Everybody and uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you for being here. Let's get things started very quickly. But before we do, I just uh, invite you to like and in particular share today's show. When, when you share the show, quite honestly, family, more people see it. On today's show, I want to talk about the fact that a Republican judge ruled against a CFT injunction. And I want to give you some suggestions on what to do next. Also, we're scheduled to speak with CPS board member Eve Bolton. Now, I set this up last week, and I want to follow through on my end. And we'll talk to her about the decision and her thought process as well. Even though this decision has been made, I still think that there is a a purpose and a functionality in questioning the board members as to their thought process. But then we get the advantage in talking with Eve this morning to look forward. See, now we know what the decision is. Now we can look forward. We can project forward. So if you got questions, get them ready. Please share this in as many spaces uh, on Facebook and beyond as you think uh, it might be important. You can share it on Twitter. You can share it on Instagram. Just grab the the uh, the URL, the URL for folks that know what that means. That's the web address. You can share it anywhere. All right. So we'll get started in about 60 seconds, family. Again, please take a second to like and in particular, share today's show. Why don't you get it by now? Tell me what you learned in grade school. Give it to me like you want it. Did you forget that golden rule? What is our love at one side? Really be given take fill you up and leave me empty. Baby, was that my mistake? Covering these feelings, going through changes. I'm just so mad right now. I can't even think straight. So I'ma just tweet it and delete it. The Ivy Show is supported by listeners. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash Nathan Ivy Show and help Nathan keep the show independent. Yeah. 
Talking to my mirror like I love you so much Curving all my critics like I heard you, so what? You can't kill my confidence, I think I'm the man Tally all the f*** I ever gave on my head Lately I've been living like I can't take a loss They wanna help me Alright, good morning everybody Welcome back, it's the Nathan Ivy Show I'm live, I'm local And you already know, I'm very vocal Let's get things started because we don't have a lot of time we got a short time on this thing called Planet Earth. Welcome back to my home studio in, in a uh, secret location somewhere in the Cincinnati area. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. Good morning. So you hope you're doing well. Let's catch up a little bit and uh, about what's happened between yesterday's show and today's show. Of course, yesterday was the first show of Community Connector with Tiffany Daniels. Uh, I can't say enough how highly I think about her show and what she's doing and her contribution to our culture and to our community as well. And she's been doing her thing for a while, but now we've teamed up uh, via the CDM tent and uh, we're going to help produce and promote what she's doing as well. And yesterday she spoke with her guest, Patrice Campbell and Patrice Campbell is a, she's, she's a, she's an entrepreneurial uh, coach. Uh, if you're trying to get the right mindset uh, to make that next step, either in your business or maybe you want to start your entrepreneurial grind, uh, Patrice uh, will be the person to give a call. I thought it was an excellent first show. So her show actually airs on Mondays, Mondays at 12 noons. And she has a, it's not every Monday. Uh, typically, she always has a guest on. And uh, keep your eyes on that show. You'll hear more from us. And again, I'll say it again. As I said, you know, one of the many things I like about Tiffany is that. She's not just talking about these things, these wealth building strategies. She's actually doing it. <laughs> She's actually doing it with her own family, uh, which is very, 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 very uh, dope in my opinion. Coming up today at 1 p.m., uh, Midday Juice would Ask Ashley. And as you can see there, she's got, she, it's about that juice. You know, I look at Ask Ashley's show as something you can plug into during the midday. She airs on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 1 p.m., Maybe it's a departure from the rat race or whatever's going on in your life. You can chime in. She always opens up the conversation for you to share your thoughts about what's going on. But that's the cover art. Uh, you'll hear it. Um, you'll see it later today. And a brand new podcast coming is called Melanin Insights. Melanin Insights podcast hosted by Britt and Cass. And that's coming soon. It's going to be super dope. I'll say it again. Okay, I'm doing exactly what I told you that I was going to do. My mission is to amplify black voices in greater Cincinnati and beyond. I'm doing exactly what I told my patrons I would do to the letter and beyond. And we're just getting started. Wait until you see what we do next. We're going to make black history doing Black History Month. All right, but I'll talk more about it when the time is right. Uh, GOP judge rules against CFT injunction. What to do next? And that's a that's a uh, photograph of the legal team that represented the Cincinnati Federation of Teachers. And that's that photograph there in the bottom sort of right, uh, right quarter, right, right side of the uh, the cover image is the the image of the judge uh, who made the decision. And she's a Republican. Did that have an impact on her decision? Could be. Now, I was privy to a Zoom media call yesterday at about 6.30 
Appreciate the CFT for sending the invite. So I got a chance to hear more from the lawyers involved, and they kind of talked through their process. It was quite interesting. Apparently, I mean, you know, obviously they're not happy about it. And as a parent, I'm not happy about it. But again, we already prepare for this. If you listen to this show, I make sure that you're already prepared. What have I been telling you? Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. We've, we've been way out ahead of this for months. I've been telling you from day one, do what you can to make sure that your body, and I'm talking about your body, like the body that G.O.D. gave you and the children, your body, the body that your children are residing in, their souls residing in, make sure you do as much as you can to raise your natural immunity. Okay? You don't have to sit around and just whatever happens, happens. You can take control. You have 100% control over what you do with your body. That's something that the CFT or CPS or any other acronym has no control over whatsoever. You have control over that. So today is the day when, um, was it preschool through three are going to uh, CPS? I stand by what I said. Uh, I think it's uh, that the school board is gambling with the lives of people unnecessarily. Nothing has changed. Uh, man, parents are really upset about it. Some parents are saying they want to stage a sick out. Um, we'll see what the CFT does. They're not, at least on the surface, making any recommendations. What they said is that basically it's up to the teachers. You got to make, and the parents, you got to make your own decision about what you have to do, which goes back to what I told you from day one, that you are ultimately the one that's responsible. Nobody else. Nobody's coming to save you. It's on you, mom and dad. That's just the way it is. That's the nature of being a parent. Uh, Julie Sellers, who's the president of the CFT, she did release a video about 12 hours ago. Would you like to see it? I can play it for you. I can. It's about seven minutes long. We don't have to play all of it. Um, but I think just to give people some insight will be interesting. What are your plans today? What are your plans today? I love to talk about it. And then also coming up today at about 8.30 a.m., we're scheduled to speak with Eve Bolton, who's a member of the CPS school board. Now, I set this up last week. I would have preferred to talk with Eve last week, but she didn't have the time. So today is the day. And as I said earlier in the intro, I still think there's some really relevant things that we can't talk about. Plus, I've got updated news on stimulus checks. Mm-hmm. Yes, we must talk about it. And there's a smattering of other things that are not related uh, to CPS decision, the CFT decision, the injunction uh, that we must discuss as well. If you want to share your thoughts for any of it this morning, you can please feel free to do so at 513-873-7134. Again, 513-873-7134 if you'd like to share your thoughts. That press conference last night, it was on Zoom. I think it was invitation only. Uh, there was about 12, 13 participants. I was one of them. It seemed like a lot of people from local media, WKRC, you know, the local folks was all there. And then you had the two lawyers uh, representing CFT and you had Julie Sellers. They all took time talking about it. The lawyers walked through their case and why they thought that the decision was wrong, which I thought was kind of interesting. And um, so... I'm not sure they're going to make all that available. Um, I can on my end, but I want to run it past them first before I put it out there. They may not want it out for whatever reason. 
So if they if I get the thumbs up, I'll put it out and let you check it out. All right. Five one three eight seven three seven one three four. This is the Nathan Ivy Show, the last honest place in Cincinnati media. It starts right here, it ends right here. There is no more honest platform than right here. Why? Because we independent and we don't play that Cincinnati polite stuff over here. We keep it absolutely one hundred percent raw and uh, inconsistent and honest and fair, which is what I think you should expect, right? 513-873-7134. Would you like to see this? I don't want to play all of it because it's like seven minutes long. We'll see how far we get into it. But I think I think it's interesting. I'm interested in hearing what Julie Sellers has to say. Let's roll tape on this.
Okay, so that's Julie Sellers, and you can see that on Facebook. It's on their Facebook page, the CFT, the Cincinnati Federation of Teachers. And I ended up playing all of it because I thought it was relevant to our conversation. I just got a message from E. Bolton confirming that we're going to talk today at 8.30 a.m. So let me make sure I send her a message because I don't want to miss that conversation. Um, Yeah, yeah, yes. Correct. It's at 8.30 a.m. So we can ask her what she thinks about it, even though the decision has been made. So what did you think about what Julie Sellers had to say? She said she had like, what was it, 30 pages full of violations? Yeah, because you can set up all the rules in the world, but when human beings are involved, what's going to happen? Things are going to go wrong. When children are involved, what's going to happen? They're going to take off masks. Things are going to happen. So it's a concern. You know, parents have to make their decisions for themselves. Uh, some parents, they're like CDA all the way. Great. If you're at one of the schools in which you can remain CDA and stay inside of, you know, your virtual, um, your class, stay inside the school. Cool. That's that's a better option for you than other people. Um, if uh, If you're not, then you have to brave COVID and whatever concerns you have and basically eat it and get over it because the decision is what it is. Now, what can we do? What should you do? I want to get back to that because I think that's the most important thing. What can you do? What to do next? What to do next? And I have some very strong opinions about what to do next. And I think at the top of that list is real simple. Keep that same Energy, four things. Keep that same energy. I see a lot of energy right now. People are organizing. They're talking about doing sick outs and they got new Facebook groups and all of this energy. Okay. Keep that same energy all period. Keep that same energy all the way through if you feel inclined to do so. Keep that same energy all the way through November when four board members. Uh, will be up for, I think, three of the board members, If again, if you feel inclined to do so, three of the board members who voted for this decision will be up for re-election. Keep that same energy. And people have been hitting me up like, Nate, we think you'd be a good candidate, and I'm flattered. Uh, but thinking I would be a good candidate and then being able to raise the amount of money is two different things. Okay? Two completely different things. And, you know, so if you're outraged about this and you feel like you want to organize, cool, organize. That's a good thing. But keep that same energy. Create grassroots organizations that can actually have influence. Because right now, I don't see it. It's not out there. So if you feel this way, keep that same energy. These board members will say the same thing. They'll tell you, like, look, you know, hey, if I'm not doing a good job, people will vote me out. So keep that same energy. And it's not enough to just say you're outraged about something. It's not enough to say that you're against someone. What you really should do is put that energy into building up candidates who you feel like will reflect your wishes in times of crisis. So that's really what time it is. If you feel that way, keep that same energy and invest in candidates that when there is a crisis of this nature will vote in the way that you think they should vote. I'll tell you quite honestly, you know, I've I've reconsidered and I've completely rethought uh, some of the people that I voted for based upon this. But again, you never know. You a, a crisis is an opportunity for us to judge these folks. You never know. You never know until there's a crisis and then you can see how people, what people are really made of. 
Uh, I don't have no problem keeping that same energy because I can be like a broken record. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Anyone who listens to me know I'll keep this energy to the day I die. But in terms of the public, if you feel that way and people are starting student groups and I'm sorry, parent groups, all right then, I'm, I'm about that life. Do it. Keep that same energy. If you feel like the board members need to be voted out, okay, that's your personal opinion. You can make that into something that's far more influential if you keep that energy up, you organize, and you get enough people. And you got to have moxie. You got to have some moxie, too. Hold on, I'm getting a message from the wifey here. You got to have moxie. You got to be willing You got to have moxie. You got to be willing to 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 buck the system. You got to be willing to take some risks. You got to be willing to put your neck out there. You got to be willing to do stuff like, you know, show up every day to school board member with a sign. You got to be willing to, to, to get confrontational. Parents got to be willing to speak with the media. OK, you got to be willing to do these kind of things. If you try to do the Cincinnati polite way, you're going to get the same old issue been getting. Simple as that. And that's what you can do about it. I mean, I think that's the the, the, the best uh, advice that I can give you into what you can do next. That's it. Uh, the other thing you can do in terms of a personal thing is making sure you live in a healthy lifestyle, that you are that you are projecting the type of uh, of healthy living that will build up natural immunity to all these kind of things. That you're modeling these kind of things for your children. That's what that's what you can do. And if you find candidates out there who you feel like will better uh, reflect how you, how you feel, then you have to support them with more than just a vote. You got to you got to support them with them dollars. You got to be willing to phone bank. You got to be willing to canvas. You got to be willing because most of these people on the school board are all Democrats. I mean, if I if I'm thinking correctly, I think they're all Democrats. Many of them got the Democrat uh, uh, support. So if if you're trying to tie, if you're trying to go after some of them individuals, they got the the local Democrat Party behind them. They got a big party machine here. So if you're not willing to meet and max that energy and that effort, then it's just lip service and talk. Now there's nothing stopping you or whoever from running and trying to get a nomination, because that goes a long way. I looked at some of the numbers and like if you look at like Carolyn Jones or some of these people that were the top vote getters, they were they were getting uh, city council type of uh, votes. Like if they had ran for city council, they would have made it on city council twenty nine thousand, twenty eight thousand. They not really worried about this. They ain't really worried about this because number one they got name recognition, number two they got the party behind them, and number three they got time on their side. And the way this works is that human beings get outraged for a little bit, and then they go right back to their creature comforts. They go right back to their lives. They know this. So I'm just saying, you know, the outrage is cool. You know, I'm disappointed, and I feel like like everybody else. But I'm going to do what I got to do for my children till death, whatever that might be. If it's hard, if it's difficult, it's going to be whatever it's going to be. You know, I'm committed, just like I'm not, you are committed as well. But for the people with the outrage, what I would say is keep that same energy and organize. Because clearly somebody did. The, the people said it's the it's the one percenters that made the decision. Well, from what I understand, they started organizing a long time ago, sending letters, calling. 
And I think there's a good reason why maybe parents who were more COVID sensitive did not. And that's because the school board and the school administration told you there was a set of criteria and then abandoned a criteria. I mean, I think it's a couple of ways to look at this. It's very, very interesting. I mean, it starts to make a lot of sense as to why, you know, some of the things that I see with CPS and the board persist. It makes a lot of sense. But that would be my best advice for you. Keep that. Whatever your energy is, keep it. You outraged? What you going to do with the outrage? Okay, so you outraged, bro. And now so what? What you going to do with it? What does that really mean? Simple as that. And it's not enough to point fingers at other people and say, well, you should run. It's deeper than that because anybody can run. You know, who wants to run and lose? If you run, you want to win. How committed are you in supporting candidates who you think in a time of crisis will 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 uh, decide, make decisions based upon public health? Are you committed enough to join the team and volunteer and canvas and phone bank? Are you committed to put dollars into it? Are you committed to put up yard signs? Are you committed to stand outside and help these people get signatures? Because if you're not, then let it go. But if you are, then keep that same energy. That's what I would say. But what do you think? 513-873-7134. Now, I could talk about it from a racial aspect. I mean, just think about it from a racial standpoint. You've got a majority white school board that just made a decision about a majority black school district to go back into school during the pandemic. Now, there's a story there. There's a story there. You know what I'm saying? Somebody sent me a text message. I didn't get a chance to hear it, but somebody sent me a text message saying that Lincoln Ware was, I don't know, I guess he was, I don't, I don't know. They was like, can you please call into Lincoln Ware show? But I was caught up doing some other things. I don't know what he was talking about. I do know that Lincoln um, does not live in Cincinnati unless he's moved. So, uh, you know, these people that don't live in Cincinnati trying to tell Cincinnati what to do, I don't give a damn. Keep it. Save it. That's my big bro. Nothing but love, but eh, sorry, Lincoln, you ain't really got a dog in this race. You know what I'm saying? You ain't got no real skin in the game. I have skin in the game. You know what I'm saying? I have skin in the game. I'm invested on multiple levels, including my children. Not a child, but children. All right? So you talking to a man who just ain't coming up with some hypotheticals. I mean, it's just amazing how people want to bring up hypotheticals that don't really impact their life. Well, what if, what if nothing? Let's speak pragmatically. I'm talking about what we have to deal with right now. So I'm not really concerned about people who don't live in Cincinnati and what they think. Quite honestly, either way, I want to know what Cincinnati thinks. This is a Cincinnati issue, period. But again, that's that's my flows on it. So coming up at about the bottom of the hour, we're supposed to get a phone call from Eve Bowden. She says she does she's she's new to Facebook and something, something. So we'll get a phone call from her and talk with her later on. Um come up in about less than thirty minutes. All right. So before we go to the choppers, I make I need to make sure that we get a word from our sponsor this morning. 
if uh, you're looking for a dream home or you're looking for a new piece of property, maybe even commercial property, well, perhaps, uh, well, let me make a suggestion. The Wellburn Experience. Uh, call Ot- Otis and his team at 513-252-1055. As a matter of fact, Otis is scheduled to be my guest during the 9 a.m. hour at about 9.30 a.m. So we had a chance to talk with the man behind the jingle himself. And speaking of which, check this out, and we'll get right back to the flows. It's that well-born experience. Well-born. It's that well-born experience. Well-born. Uh, uh, uh. The well-born experience. Well-born. Experience. Well-born. Experience. Well-born. It's that well-born experience. Well-born. Yeah. The well-born experience. Well-born. Yeah. The well-born experience. Well-born. Experience. Well-born. Experience. Tell us what you need. That's the question we start with. We specialize selling condos, houses, apartments. Make sure that you're happy with your residence. Keep it real. No filter. Oldest the realtor from the natty is heaven sent. It's the well-born experience. Ain't nothing like it. Every time he talk to his client, he's so excited just knowing he able to put him in a place to lay their head. Not focusing on his profits, but on the client instead. He keeps it so professional knowing from his conversation. You can tell he studies before sharing information. Educated, motivated, ain't nobody better. Who's willing to walk you through every step to relieve the pressure? Relieve the pressure. Yeah. And just so you know it's real, real. you get a special personalized rug once he closes the, the deal. So go on, call him up so he can get you live. Yeah. 513-252-1055. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Again, that's 513-252-1055. Again, 513-252-1055. And there's a link to his website in the day in the description of today's podcast. All right, but we're scheduled to get a Zoom call from uh, Otis uh, Wellburn later on in the show at about 9.30 a.m. approximately, so looking forward to that. All right, let me start inside the Chop Shop. I need some Chop Shop music. Can I get some? There we go. Some Chop Shop music. Tracy Rice, hi. Ray Rice here. Pat Rice, good morning, Choppers. Sharp Rice, good morning, Nate and the Choppers. Ashley writes, good morning, Nathan and the Choppers. Brenda, Brenda writes, happy Tuesday. Uh, Drop writes, good morning, Choppers. What's in your wallet? <laughs> good morning to you. Ray writes, she ain't playing. Tracy writes, hey, Nathan. Ray writes, Julie Sellers for mayor. Maybe she'll get the 5K children out of poverty that John Cranley lied about doing right. Tanika writes, good morning, Nathan and Choppers. Fox writes, rise and shine, young stars. He is never going to live that down. <laughs> John Cranley is never going to live that down. Good morning to you. All right. Uh, see, we got a lot of comments here on Facebook and also on YouTube. Jerome writes, good morning. Hey, good morning to you, Jerome. Uh, Anthony writes, morning, Choppers. Good morning to you. Deborah writes, good morning. Frenet writes, good morning. Hey, John, hold on one second, man. I'll bring you straight on. Try to get John on here in a second. Yeah, that's John. Nat writes, uh, good morning, Choppers. Samantha writes, good morning, all. Danita writes, good morning, everyone. No matter what it looks like right now, the fact that you open your eyes and your brain is functioning, you are blessed. Let's be thankful for what we have and not what we are missing. I love it. I'm with you 100% on that one. April writes, blessings to all. Crystal writes, top of the morning, cyber Wakandans. Jay Rice, do the judge have kids? You're talking about the judge in the case with CFT. I don't know. I know she is a Republican. I'll be honest with you. I was watching it live yesterday. And for me, when she said at the end of the arguments, when she said, I'm not going to root from the bench, I was like, oops, 
There's a sign right there. I'm not going to rule that sound like some old Republican jargon. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. Um, so was I surprised by it? I mean, I won't say I was surprised. I could have went either way. Um, I'm not a lawyer, but from what I understand, I thought it was a compelling argument that the uh, CFT was making. And then having listened to the CFT lawyers in their media Zoom press conference yesterday evening, um, I remain even more convinced. I mean, hell, I mean, you know, judges go back and forth. The judges get overturned all the time. There's a long history of judges, um, you know, making wrong decisions. So wouldn't be the first time that a judge made the wrong decision. But it's all about how you interpret it. It is what it is. I do. I will say that what was brought up yesterday in that media call with the CFT lawyers is that their belief that this will have an impact long term on the relationship between the union and the school district, because they believe that they had this agreement in place. Right. And that since I public schools, basically, or the board, should I say, just said, Psh, bump it. We're going to do what we want to do. Which is par for the course. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, look at what the district is doing in terms of Gabriel Tae. I mean, you know, it's the same deal. Um, so I just see a lack of empathy uh, as it relates to, you know, our children across the board. This is just my opinion. I know as many board members or whoever is watching, they can think what they want to think. I mean, we can still um, have uh, divergent points of view on this. This is my observation. I see correlations between the Gabriel Tae case and the way that the board has dealt in the district has dealt with this situation. I see a lot of strong parallels. This is just me. Oh, I know this is not Cincinnati polite, right? It ain't polite because other media won't make those parallels. You're only going to get that here. Other folks is just, Oh, that's not polite. I don't give a damn about polite. I'm trying to get it right. And, um, I think they got it wrong. I think that the board is uh, gambling with the lives of students and teachers. The gambling for six instructional days or eight instructional days. That's exactly what I'm going to say to Eve Bolton when she calls in in 15 minutes. I'm going to ask her why she's gambling. And then I'm going to, I want to get a lot of your questions in. I want to get a lot of your questions in as well. But I also want to project forward. I want to look forward into what we can expect. All right. So I don't know, Jay. I don't know if she has kids or not. Deborah Nesbitt writes, uh, Republicans have lost their minds and souls across here and across the nation. They have. I don't trust none of them. I don't trust. I'm not trying to say I think the Democrat Party is like heaven on earth or anything, but I don't trust none of these Republicans because you never know. Some of these Republicans are capital rioter sympathizers. Some of these Republicans are anti-maskers. So you never know. And you can't say, oh, it's just Billy and Bob with a pickup truck. Nope. Mm -mm. No, it's all of them. You never know. I mean, right now, what are they talking about in terms of a Republican congresswoman from, uh, I think she's from uh, Georgia, right? Oh, man, they're talking about taking her from committee assignments because she's running around here talking about, I mean, her views are very, very extreme. We'll put it that way. Very, very extreme. So now even the Republican Party is trying to sit her down and say, hey, listen, sis, mm, we don't need this right now. So who knows? What I will say is that elections have consequences. <laughs> so this judge was appointed or she ran for re-election. It is what it is. She's in that position to make that decision. Same thing with the school board. They ran. They won. They're in a position to make the decision. It is what it is. If you don't like it, keep that aim, set same energy, and then get behind a candidate or candidates that that 
that you think will better um that you think will better reflect your attitude. That's that's what you can do. All right, let's go to the phones. Uh, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Mr. Nathan Ivey and the good people of Cincinnati, as well as the good people around the world. And yes, those choppers. Good morning, sir. Good morning to you, John. Welcome to the show. Before we get to AOC, yes, good morning, sir. Before we get to her, I see your topic uh, still ongoing continuation of uh, should these students or young people, kids, go back to school or should they be taught at home? I don't understand. This is a no-brainer. This virus is still out of control. Yes, okay, everybody's getting shots, but it's going to take time for everybody to be vaccinated, shots, one, two. And I think we'll be wearing masks for the next couple of years. I don't think that's going to stop, you know, I think everybody knows their body and you have to be weary. Let's face it. These kids K through 12, they're not going to keep those masks on when they get in. They got the mask on getting off the bus. As soon as they get into school, they're ripping and they're running. The mask goes flying all over the place. I understand why the teachers are hesitant to teach knowing some of these kids bad enough. You can't can't even get the flu under control. These kids go home, they sick, they pass germs. The parents get it. A cycling over and over and over again. I often tell people I have a, uh, my aunt has a daughter here, um, my uncle's wife, and her daughter has a, ch- a young girl that just started high school. She's a straight A student in school. And she opted not to send her daughter, her only child, into the school system. She can easily, via on the internet, get in contact with the teacher. The teacher sends her home homework, work that she needs to do to keep up the speed. So the mother and the father decided, no, we're not sending our daughter in there. This thing is out of control. So we opt this school year. We can still teach her at home. She can still get the school work from the school system. This is a no-brainer. Why are they making such a big deal over there? Shut the schools down. I was all for shutting these athletes down, too, football, baseball. Shut them all down until you get this under control. Once again, Mr. Nathan Ivey, You've heard me state many times, this is a former idiot Trump's mess. And I understand why the Republicans and Democrats have a hard time in saying the blame game, giving the blame game to him. But you allow him to get on the streets spewing that hate and all the garbage, and they don't want to put blame where it deserves. Well, we'll get to that when that trial starts, so we can get away from that. But, you know, I know I hear the passion in your voice. I guess it's an individual choice. It's a family's choice. If I had a child, no, my child will not be going into that school where all the tools, your computer, the Internet, via the teacher can do. uh, Tell little Johnny and Susan, okay, if you don't have a computer at home, you don't have Internet, go to the library, click in at nine o'clock. Everybody get a board and we'll go through the case. This is not a hard thing, not at all. But no, the system wants to keep affecting the kids, affecting grownups. Uh, unbelievable. We can talk about this forever, but we'll get off off this and let's get into AOC. I don't know. Many of you probably have seen her interview since last week and the media is jumping on it even more how she couldn't get out of the Capitol on that day when the Cretans were rioting and they should have been gunned down. That's another day and another time. But she heard in her, as she was in her office in the back room, she heard the banging and them screaming, where is she? Where is she? 
she hit herself in the back of the bathroom and she can hear them screaming, banging. I guess she felt threatened, rightfully so. Mr. Neville Harvey, you often always preach people should be packing and carrying. And if you do license and take the proper precaution of having somebody train you on how to shoot, it's coming down to that's where it's going to be. Instead of her feeling fear, she should understand what her ancestors went through to put her where she's at. And Black people should understand that too. Classroom studies and proper uh, holding a firearm, loading it and shooting it, they should be packed to the gills. Don't look for the federal government or state government or local people to protect you. You're on your own. If you, don't, if you haven't taken the time to get a gun and get licensed, then shame on you. You put yourself at risk. So when I hear AOC and who's the other sister in there that just came in there and that wacko woman that you mentioned, Miss Blondie, that's going to be censored or kicked out. She should be kicked out. She's a whack job. She's backtracking today, this morning, trying to protect her job. But, you know, you've got to arm yourself. Uh, I understand, Miss uh, Nancy Pelosi. You don't want firearms inside those uh, rooms, but firearms should be brought in. Can't go on the chamber floor. I understand that. But you've got to protect yourself because history repeats itself. What we saw on January the 6th is nothing new. This has been throughout the history of this violent country. And it's going to happen again as much as they're going to say, oh, we'll never let this happen. Stop it. It will happen again. And often I'll end you with, in this with you, Mr. Nathan Ivey. On the 6th, I'm glad it happens. And I'm glad that mayor in uh, D.C. cautioned Black Lives Matter, the liberal groups are not coming to Washington, stay home. This was all a setup. They wanted to get those cretins. You know, the feds and organizations and the government was among the ludants of the cretins monitoring, kitchen, getting pictures, want to identify who these rats are. And El, El Presidente, as he led the charge, instead of him charging with his stormtroopers on the white horse, what did he do? Like the gutless worm that he was, he ran the other way, right back into the White House. So he's a danger and he's not gonna be held accountable. This trial is fake, like many trials that we go through to protect the rich. Two sets of laws, choppers in this country, one for them and one for us. He will escape, but he may not escape the state charges. To be continues. Any comments, Mr. Nathan Ivey? No comments, brother. Thank you for the flow. I appreciate you. Have a great Have day. Have a nice day. <laughs> That's John from Princeton, New Jersey. That's John from Princeton, New Jersey. I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? That man, that man right there. That's all I can say. Let me go to your comments here. Hey, Brandy, good morning. Hey, Marsha, good morning. Hey, Tanya, happy Tuesday. Good to see you. Uh, Martise, what's up, brother? Welcome. Honest question, what's the use of having a union if the board can do and say whatever they feel is in the best for them with no regard for the people whom elected them? Uh, in principle, that was the argument and the grievance that the CFT had. Yeah, they're not happy. They're not happy at all. They feel it like it's a breach of their contract. And they say they're going to abide by it. But they're like, so what does this mean? Uh, again, uh, you know, got a Republican judge. You got a Republican judge. And uh, again, who knows what that person's background is? The CFT lawyers feel like there was a lot of evidence that they presented that the, the judge just ignored. 
So um, it is what it is. So are these the same lawyers for the Cincinnati public schools that are in court right now arguing that um, the school district has no role and responsibility in notifying parents um, when your kid is unconscious? That's what happened with Gabriel Taillé. They didn't notify the parent. They didn't, they didn't notify the parent this boy was being bullied and it was very, very serious. They didn't follow their own. See, here's what happens. We're seeing the same thing um, with the Cincinnati public school system that we see with the law, the legal system. So how does it work with the legal system and you're dealing with the government? Well, when you're dealing with the government, and all grown people will attest to this, black, white, rich, poor, whatever. When you're dealing with the government or the law, when you make a mistake, you pay for it. You pay for it dearly. You might pay for it with your liberty. You might pay for it with your time and your expense. You may have to go to court. When the government makes a mistake, they say, oops, my bad. Same thing I'm seeing with Cincinnati Public Schools. They set the rules, and you got to follow the rules. But they can break the rules whenever they want to. So they, they have a policy to contact parents when a kid is being, you know, excessively and seriously. If they don't honor it, they just send lawyers into court and say that we shouldn't have to because it'll set a bad precedent. In the middle of a pandemic, when everybody's worried about, you know, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, they come up with a, letter, a list of criteria and they say, listen, community, here's a list of criteria. But when, it, when the criteria becomes inconvenient, they just disregard it and say whatever. That's what I'm seeing. But it is what it is. The world ain't fair. You don't get to call no shots unless you're the shot caller. They are the shot callers. You know, that's the, that's the purview of the superintendent. That's the purview of the school board. That's why they are in that position. That's why people put them there. And so sometimes they're going to make decisions that you agree with. And sometimes they're going to make decisions that you don't agree with. And that's just the way the world goes. You know what I'm saying? It is what it is. But that's my observation. You know what I'm saying? You set the rule. Hey, we break our own rules. So what? What you going to do about it? Nothing. So, I mean, what, what's, the re, re, what's the repercussions or the recourse exactly? Nothing. You know, because most people in Cincinnati are going to do the Cincinnati polite thing. And then, like I told you, I mean, let's say, and again, I, I hope for the best. I hope that COVID goes away. I hope that these variants that we're talking about from Brazil and the UK variant, which seems to not be a part of the thought process of the board process of the board whatsoever. But I hope that all these variants and things that we're hearing about, I just read within the last 24 hours that uh, government officials are saying that psh, things about to get crazy with these new variants. So I hope it doesn't go that way. What I want to see in Cincinnati public schools is that nobody gets sick that the infection rate goes down, 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 and we can beat it out, that we achieve some type of herd immunity, um, and that we can beat this thing and get back to some sense of normal. What I want to see is in a very safe way that, that the kids can return to school five days a week. That's what I want to see, just like you, right? As safely as possible. So if that happens, see, that's the other thing about outrage. It's so... It's so much, it's so temporary for a lot of people. And what I mean by that is this is February. If in March we are in, and I'm not sure what's below red, let's say orange. If we're in the orange and everything is trending in the right direction in terms of infection rates and hospitalizations and transmission rates and deaths in Hamilton County, if everything continues in this trend, then all this outrage is going to go away real quick. 
And the board will look as if they did the right thing. They'll look as if, hey, you know what? It was difficult, but we weathered the storm. We told you, we told you. So that's a factor in this. You know, we can't shut the door on that being a possibility. You know what I'm saying? I still feel like it's a gamble. But like I said, if it goes that way, then nobody's going to be upset with the board anymore. And they know that. There's no reason to be upset if there's no real negative impact. So all of this will go away, uh, potentially in April. If we get to spring break and everybody's like, what? We can eat chili cheese conies outside in downtown Cincinnati again. Right. Nobody's going to be worried about what happened in February. Nobody's going to be outraged anymore. Okay. It's just going to go away. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again, and that's what will happen in this scenario as well. Nobody's going to be upset with the board. Nobody's going to be upset with CPS if this all goes away because all parents want their kids to be in school. That's what we all want. The only concern is, is it's how dangerous do you think it is right now? And so if, 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 near, if the next two to three months prove the board to be right, then they will be right. And all of the parents, all of the critics will say, you know what? Things turned out well. And that's the truth of it. That's the truth of it. All right. I'm scheduled to get a phone call from Eve Bolton. Eve Bolton is a a member of the Cincinnati School Board. I'm getting a call right now. Let's take it and see who's on the line. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hey, good morning. Hey, Eve, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Eve. I, Excellent. Hey, Excellent. Good morning and welcome to the Nathan Ivy Show. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate being with you. Yeah, yeah, most deaf, most deaf. We talked, uh, I don't know, maybe it was two years ago we talked and talked about yes, FC Cincinnati. Did. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. So um, let's get straight to it, Eve. I mean, um, big decision yesterday by a Hamilton County judge uh, to basically to dismiss the case from the CFT. Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, um, I think when friends and colleagues uh, have such disagreement that it ends up in court, you can't be happy even when you get the what we believe to be the right decision for the right reason. So there's a, it's sort of a bittersweet uh, victory, but a victory that sustains um, the, the authority of the board to uh, run the school system. And uh, it was also a comment. And I understand where uh, CFT leadership is on on this because it, it spoke directly to a couple of chapters in the, um, the collective bargaining agreement that we have with CFT. So uh, I was I felt validated and, and gratified by the decision, and yet sorry that it got to that point. Yeah, I was a part of the media call um, Zoom conference uh, after the decision came out. And I can tell you, you probably already know this, that the CFT feels like this was a breach of your relationship. Uh, what what came up over and over again, it was that they felt as if, you know, they've, they've developed this relationship where their input has been taken. But when it came to this decision, they felt as if their input was completely ignored. Um, it, it, uh, it, I didn't get to see that, but, uh, but I did see parts of, uh, Julie's, uh, uh comments, uh, from their office. Um, a little bit of, I'm a history teacher, so forgive me for sounding, you know, weird, but, um, this 
CFT uh, has had a, 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 certainly almost, a, I would say, a 40-year history of really leading uh, the country in many ways regarding collaboration between labor and management, and indeed has built a, very much a contract around uh, that sort of collaboration, which still exists as it is uh, specified, uh, and we want it to exist as specified, but again, there isn't a dual administration. There isn't uh, uh, other people that are elected uh, by the general public to, to represent the public except the board. So even the contract, and that's why I found it interesting, even the CFT contract does speak to, as all contracts have to in the state, uh, speak to the authority of the board. And I think the issue was, was this something that could be arbitrated or, you know, was this a grievance piece or was this obviously an injunction on the part of CFT? So I think they felt that we weren't doing what they wanted us to do, but we also had any other folks that have to advise us, whether it's children Children's Hospital or whether it's parents, whether it's students, whether it's uh, our colleagues around the country and the state or whether it's the CDC, uh, there were any number of, of uh, experts and colleagues and and um, advocates, and it wasn't an. It, none of this has been easy since March 15th. You know, the Ides of March have a, a new meaning for me. It's not just about Julius Caesar. It's uh, the governor shutting down the schools and us trying to get through this um, remarkable and and I think in many ways tragic year. Um, but um, uh, we we still look forward to collaboration, but there has to also be the recognition that there is only one board and that uh, certain things that are in the contracts that indeed uh, institutionalize the collaboration are still there. Uh, on this matter, um, uh, the, the court felt that that contract and those couple of chapters um, that they were citing actually did not authorize them to make these demands. But I understand Julie wants to, uh, and the leadership, the CFT leadership, uh, is perhaps pursuing other avenues as well. So I have to be kind of careful, but I'm, I don't want to get too specific. Yeah, well, I'm not a lawyer, um, but uh, <laughs> I think the judge got it wrong, in my opinion. But that's just my opinion. Again, I'm not a lawyer, so sure. it's an unqualified sure. uh, position in terms of having legal um experience but uh but back to the cft so did the board um seek the input of the teachers um in terms of making this decision and if not why not oh that's a good point i would say the board uh on several or more than several occasions beginning in march um of of this past year uh sought uh cft and and our we have six unions too. This is important for everybody to know. We have 6,000 uh, employees and half are probably uh, teachers and, and instructional support type folks. But we have Ask Me and we have the building trades and we have all these other folks as well. But certainly I would say that the, that the um, board sought the uh, input uh, and the advice. And I think it was uh, more heavily sought in the beginning of the crisis and certainly it has become in the last six weeks because this turned to be a kind of a legal uh, issue. I know that the superintendent uh, meets uh, fairly regularly uh, with, the, with the president of the um, 
uh, teachers union. And I know, too, that on any number of occasions has sought specific uh, advice uh, regarding especially the instructional plan. Because, uh, remember, we've gone through and tried to figure out a which of the five or six instructional plans uh, would work and when they would work and what would be the criteria. So I, I would say that, yes, it was sought. It, it was it um, uh, sought uh, in good faith? Yes, it was. And I know that the advice was given in good faith. But just because you may not agree with whatever was finally decided doesn't mean you weren't uh, having the kind of influence that, that you would perhaps want. Yeah, that's certainly true, that last part. But I'm I'm trying to get back to this because after speaking with Julie Sellers, I had her on the show on Sunday. We spoke for an hour. She is adamant that the board um, did did not really communicate and and have and really take the input from the CFT, which represents I know there's many unions, but that's the largest union. And, um, you know, maybe this happened last year, but things have changed between last year and this year. I mean, last year when the decision was made, we were not in the purple. You know, last year when this decision was made, we weren't talking about the U.K. variant and we weren't talking about the Brazil variant, you know, two variants of the COVID virus that are now emerging in the United States. So before the decision was made again, affirmed, should I say, uh, in January, was there communication with the CFT about in terms of what do you think? Because, you know, I've talked to members of many of your colleagues, really, I've talked to all of them except for one. And when I asked them how they made their decision, I hear a lot of things. I hear, you know, studies in Duke University. I hear about CDC. I hear about all these different school districts. But none of them have said this is what the teachers want. And the teachers are the ones who have to be. Those are the people who are going to be in, in, in class today. So they have, along with the children and the parents, have the biggest stake in it. So are you saying that Julie Sellers is wrong in saying that there was no communication back and forth um, in, in terms of the board's decision that was reaffirmed this year? Yes, I'm saying, Julie, I'll say it adamantly. Julie is wrong about the fact that the, that the CFT and the leadership of CFT was not offering advice and we were not, not seeking it or that somehow there wasn't a regular effort. I know even by contract, Julie is a... Uh, you know, appears and has unlimited time to speak publicly where we do our public business. And when you take uh, the time to think in terms of the superintendent and the treasurer meeting with the president of the uh, union throughout all of this, whether it was the instructional model or how to return or the agreement on a phase back or talking in terms of what the protocols would be, yes, they have been involved with the decisions, and they have been able to offer those uh, that advice for almost a year now, properly so, through the institutional channels as well as the informal channels. There, there are times that, uh, and indeed, uh, certain things will be uh, reflected in some of the public records requests where Julie's actually uh, texting during our board meeting with board members. So I, the, this idea that somehow they were excluded is false. I will also say as a former teachers union president, uh, leadership uh, has to do what its membership wants it to do in, in the best interest of them, but also has an interest in what's best uh, regarding uh, the district that they serve. But more particularly, um, what I find particularly interesting and upsetting is 
it's one thing to talk about the global um, uh, unsafety, if that's a word, I don't think it is, or, or how we feel nationally or locally or what have you. Um, but the reality is the statistics show uh, uh, pretty consistently and studies do show, and Children's Hospital did demonstrate to us, uh, that indeed the safest place for anybody to be uh, right now would be our schools. The other piece I want to make sure is that one of the personal peaks that I have about what the CFT has been saying is that the schools aren't safe. The world is not safe. The, the country is not safe. Kroger's is not safe. But to say that our schools are unsafe, and she keeps repeating that, um, that's different than saying our teachers are worried about coming back or are fearful of coming back. Do not say that our schools are not safe. The data does not indicate that at all. You know what, Eve, uh, many of your colleagues have come on and made that same point. And it, I'll be honest with you, it burns me up every time I hear this. When I hear grown people, um, people who are educated, making mm-hmm. this argument that there are some research out there that concludes that it's safer to be in school than to be at home. And that is just straight up false, Eve. There, there is no research out there that would suggest that being in a school building is safer than being at home. And I feel like when people like yourself make that example, make that argument, it's disingenuous, Eve, because the, 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 the question and the decision is, and again, it's been made now, or it was staying home virtually, virtual homeschooling, the vast majority of people are at home, or being at school. And so there is no research that suggests that being in a school building is safer than being at home in quarantine? Well, that might depend on what we're talking about regarding people's living experiences. It might also be important to uh, expand the what we mean by safe. If you're talking only COVID, uh, the point might be taken that you are safer at home if it's a highly managed and secluded with a small bubble and everybody's on task. But if when you talk in terms of safety, if you look at, as we do, the whole child, the whole child experience would indicate to us that indeed we do have um, other costs, if you will, and not financial, but other health costs, uh, other learning costs, other compromises of children's futures, um, as well as whether or not you might get COVID. So I think we, I, in our way of thinking, we've expanded what we mean by safe, but I still will maintain that being in the school is the safest place for people to be, except I'll buy that. I, I think if we can have kids over here, and I do, um, kids at my house, I know that I have a house that is safe. I can't say that for all 36,000 of our children because there are so many other demands on so many other households that I don't experience as a retired person. So I'll give you the home thing, but that's under tremendous, uh, how shall I say it, uh, uh, stipulations as to what we may mean by how people have to function. 
Right, right. Yeah, because I've read many of those same studies that you're talking about, and they were measuring uh, infection rates as it relates to COVID, not the social and emotional well-being. So when I hear people citing it, I have to make sure that I correct them because it's a little bit disingenuous to cross those things over. You may personally believe that in terms of the social and emotional well-being of our children, that the school building is better, but that's separate from COVID. Right. The, the whole reason why, you know, people are quarantining, have been quarantining is because of COVID. You know, they don't want to catch the virus. Right. That can be deadly. Right. Like everybody wants the kids to be in school. I'm a parent. I got two children in CPS. I want them to be in school five days a week. The reason why they're not is because COVID. Is real. <laughs> That's the only reason why. If not for that, I want them to be in the school building. Um, someone wants to know what exactly did the board receive from the superintendent to help you determine that going back to the schools was the best for all involved? Well, um, advice and research and responses to board assignments by the superintendent, uh, I mean, to the superintendent, uh, and the, and the treasurer, uh, that dates back obviously since uh, March 15th when, Indeed, as you mentioned earlier, we're we not right now in purple, but when we were in purple, that was dangerous or the community spread was dangerous. But the, uh, the reality now is that, think about March 15th. It was serious enough and everyone was panicked enough that all the schools in the state shut down. So I, I think this danger thing now being so much more dangerous than it was then. I believe that's true, but we didn't know that for sure last time. But to the answer to your question, uh, for months and months and months, advice and, and research uh, has been shared with the with uh, the board uh, publicly in public session. If anybody ever thought we didn't make our decisions publicly, they're crazy because they've had to watch these sausage-making meetings where you're not necessarily knowing how the vote's going to go. But I would, if we want to talk about this decision right now about February, that came pretty close to the beginning of December when we got uh, perhaps the, the, the 15th briefing uh, by the superintendent that the public heard as well. And that first week of December, the mm-hmm. board determined to uh, pass a resolution uh, and uh, suggesting that all teachers in the state of Ohio indeed be kept at a higher priority because there was some talk that that was not it, it had been previously announced but wasn't being maintained. We passed a resolution uh, requesting that uh, of the state. And then we also uh, sent a couple of page letter, uh, and all this was done publicly um, uh, that first week to the governor. And not only saying that we wanted teachers to maintain that priority for the vaccination, but that we were offering our facilities and our remarkable health infrastructure that has been uh, developed over the last 15 or uh, so years uh, because of our uh, our wonderful relationship that we have with uh, uh, Growing Well and our Community Learning Center system. and we said, we've got the infrastructure and the staff that can help facilitate that. So that happened the first week of December. Then at that time, uh, I think an assignment was given once again to the uh, superintendent. And the superintendent was to come back with us, to us, and tell us why we had to shut down and under what circumstances we would be shutting down, would it be district-wide or by school, 
And what the superintendent came back with, uh, with to us was a report based specifically on CPS data and children's hospital advice, but more particularly our data, which continually was a risk management thing about loss of instruction versus safety. But she came back with one that measured and said, these are when this is what happens to our system when such and such are the, is the data in the community. And what was really the reason, and we've said this before uh, any number of times, is that one of the most recent times of leaving in person to go back to, to blended was because the, the uh, consideration of staff, meaning that between quarantine and illness and having to sit out 14 days or what have you, um, that we reached a point where there were not enough staff members to conduct business. And so she came back with this report. This is highly uh, uh, researched, and I was very impressed by it, frankly, because it was about us, not about anybody else. And so that we agreed with the plan she presented on the 16th of December, uh, and then she presented it somewhat modified, um, I think, but uh, uh, the on January 16th, and then we also agreed to that plan on the 20th. And the change was that she made, I think, some adjustments regarding the phase back. At the core of her plan, properly so, is that she believes firmly in this month to phase back. She is not, a lot of districts, I, I think, or everybody comes back or some people come back. She believes that we need, in order to be safe and to have our protocols in place and everybody on the same page, that we need a 30-day kind of return. And so we validated that again on um, January uh, 20th at the 4 o'clock meeting. And then it proceeded that uh, at that time, we also found out, I think on January 16th, not the 20th, we also had that letter from the governor, uh, and as did everybody, that indeed to begin to uh, get the vaccinations in whatever order initially, uh, you had to make a commitment that you would be in person by March 1st. And we made that commitment and signed on to that commitment because that has always been our hope. Our hope is that we will be back more than this blended, but hopefully more in person by the fourth quarter. That's always been part of the plan and hope if, if safety allowed. So we signed off on that letter and again reaffirmed the, the, the uh, superintendent's plan on the 20th. And okay. we've steadfast on that. And that was a 6-1 vote. Uh, six one consensus, a discussion, and and then this newest piece was how can we get Walnut back uh, so that it is not fully um, uh, remote, and that's been the, where the greatest amount of resistance has been. Uh, but at the beginning of this crisis, the greatest resistance was we got the Walnut people wanted to be in person. Now they feel pretty good about uh, the um, remote at Walnut, but we feel strongly too that at Walnut to the degree that we can, um, those children should return to. So you feel good about three feet. And in some cases, uh, people are saying it'll be less than three feet of space for Walnut Hills students to return. I don't feel good about it, but I know that we just, we asked the superintendent, there are members of our board that feel confident about that. Um, and there are members that have reservations about it, but as a board, 
we did ask and did assign the administration to bring back a plan that could bring back walnut based upon the space issue. It's always been about the space issue at walnut. And so right now we're looking at the space issue being trying to address it, and, and there are those plans at the six feet. And I understand that there's an effort to see where it could be possibly or when it would have to be the three feet, and they're bringing that back. That's the only open question that remains. Walnut will return, but and it will return generally in the same way that all of the other schools have already been functioning this year. Uh, and we await, I think, on February 8th to see uh, any more specific efforts by um, our strategic officer regarding the space. Of Walnut. Okay. I, I want to probe a little deeper because I have a daughter at Walnut. But first, Eve, let me oh, ask sure. you this. Grade, to make sure. She's in the 10th grade. So let me ask you this to make oh, sure I get the most po- important here. questions in. It's very important. How much time do you have sure. with us this morning? I, I can stay as long as you need me to. Okay. So we'll say about 930. Maybe uh, I have another guest Whatever coming in. Um, but so people are chiming in and I think we've got, we've I'll, got try to be, I'll try to make shorter answers. I'll, I'll yeah, it's that. all good. I don't okay. mind jumping in there if I need to, but I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> That's why I invited you on. You are the CPS school board member. So it's, people want to hear from you. So I want to make sure I get these comments in. People are saying they never consulted the teachers. We've got teachers in the stream. They never consulted the teachers. Uh, someone That's writes cool. not at all in 2021. Uh, people are saying the teachers were not consulted until uh, it was last year. It was back in like March of 2020. Um, let me see here. Uh, is that true? No. Uh, it, is, it, it depends. Let me, let me retract that uh, just a bit. Uh, I think I mentioned that there's been significant input throughout. But, yes, after you start to talk in terms of an injunction, 21 is just the month of January. Uh, and that is since the board made the decision on the to adopt the superintendent's plan on the 16th. It's since we communicated with the governor about uh, vaccinations, and it's since we reaffirmed those decisions and signed that letter uh, on you know on the January 16th and 20th. The decision is done. That, it's, that's it. So, so when we say they recently in 21, that's only one month, and that is since an injunctive legal issue has been raised. Uh, yeah, there probably hasn't been a lot of positive communication except publicly in the last 30 days. Right, right. The injunction was filed when? Back on the 22nd? I think that's when that was raised? January? No, it's Friday night. Okay. It was threatened the first week of January. We got the notice of that the injunction Friday evening. Friday evening, uh, right. And, so the question yeah, is, is prior to Friday. So, again, the people are saying, okay, um, you know, things changed. I think you would agree with this, Eve, that things have changed between last year and even December and this year. And the biggest change is that Hamilton County went into purple. Now, we're in the red now, which is still very concerning, which means that – Per seven indicators, um, Hamilton County is is way too high in terms of the infection rate. And so a lot of people are like, okay, so when the infection rate goes up, they're looking at the CPS board like, hey, listen, back in December last year, you and the administration came up with a set of criteria, and you are now turning your back on that criteria. 
All right. And even parents are feeling the same way. Like, wait a minute, you told us last year that you were going to make your recommendations about going about returning to in-person learning based on this criteria. And now you're turning your back on that criteria. Right. So what do you say to parents and teachers and community members who have that opinion? Uh, the criteria that we're using and have been using uh, in this 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 phase that we are currently in, and actually, as you know, we've been criticized for changing back and forth based upon the fact that we made a commitment to seeing the data. When we agreed to follow what we're following now is we were using the data and the information uh, from the superintendent's December report. And yes, when she made that report, we were uh, looking at purple, but we also, that very same meeting on two different two different meetings, uh, had advice from our folks when asked publicly, "What do you think? What do you think is the time frame uh, that we will uh, at least be out of the uh, splurge, the surge of the post-holiday period?" They said that they had great hope that they we would be either in the middle of January and certainly by the 1st of February. So when we did that, yes, we were in the purple, but we were also following the advice of experts in predicting that we probably wouldn't be. And indeed, we did leave purple. Uh, and the reality, too, is that, again, our superintendent, in the interest of safety, believes we must go back but we must go back in phases in order to uh, guarantee the kind of, of safety that we need. But when the teachers say they were not, that is simply not true. The reality is even in the summer, uh, and maybe this is going off board here, but in the summer we hired almost five, we paid almost 500 teachers, frontline people, school by school, to design their instructional program and what to do about uh, blended, what to do about in-person. So there's been extensive, extensive involvement since March 15th. But people are right. When we got into 21, the reality is uh, at that point in time, we were pretty down the road on the decision, and we'd already been threatened with an injunction publicly by uh, at a board meeting by the, the president of the union. So... Uh, yeah, I can point to any number of times and ways that teachers have been consulted. In the recent time, did we not follow what the CFT leadership wanted us to do? And I'm assuming their membership that they represent. Yeah, in the last month and since December 16th, uh, we have been emphasizing a return to school in the safest way possible. Why wasn't there an updated parent survey that was done this year? I know there was a study done, a survey done last year, but to me, Eve, um, it's irrelevant because a survey is just like a poll. It's a snapshot of how the people who respond feel uh, in that particular moment. And last year when the survey was done, we were in a less infectious state in Hamilton County than we uh, than we are right now, even in the red. So why wasn't that done to get a more accurate and up to date uh, assessment of how the parents feel about returning to in school learning? Well, I think we did do two kind of what I would say ineffective surveys because they were limited. 
And one was about, would you go to uh, uh, in person or would you not? But we limited that. I'll tell you, here. I'll be frankly very honest with you about an updated survey. Um, maybe we should have. I don't know. I don't think they have that much value because the reality, unfortunately, just like these hundreds of letters that we've gotten over the last uh, eight weeks especially, they are reflective of a portion of our population. They are not necessarily reflective. And I'm not saying the majority of our population doesn't agree with this group, but we have never been very successful. And we've only recently tried to be more and more successful. And we have something called POSIT that might be helpful down the road. Our surveys, and I think any board member will tell you, and certainly I've heard Julie say it too, the surveys that we take and the surveys that are um, part of what we do are not necessarily that as reflective for, for PR or for additional insight, although I think it's pretty hard to get much more insight than the hundreds of letters that we've received that have been heartfelt and well-written and some, um, you know, uh, rather nasty occasionally. Uh, I, I think that I'll give you that maybe we should have done another parent survey, but I'm going to tell you, I, I find most of them um, not necessarily representative of the larger population. Okay, so I'm trying to understand this. So I do know that the CPS has started using something called POSIP, um, which is basically a text message base, which I think just in doing my own social media marketing um, can be a very a highly effective way of reaching people because it goes straight to your phone. And I don't know what the respondent rate is, um, but let's say you get a good amount that you can draw some conclusions from that. So you're saying you don't see a value in surveying the parents? No, I didn't say that at all. Okay, I'm trying I to understand. So what are you saying? I'm saying, unfortunately, over 12 years or so on this board, and I did <clears throat> just now mention the benefits of POSIP, but I think that contract's only like, what, two or three months old that, uh, that's that been offered to us and we've signed on to, uh, recognizing this weakness. Um, I'm saying that, unfortunately, many of our, if not most, of our parent surveys uh, are not necessarily representative of our of our families and our um, children. And so uh, that's why I, I don't put quite so much stake in the survey piece as you do, but I know it is something that the board and, and the district is working hard on. That's why we did sign the contract with POSIT. Okay, so hoping I, that, I, that would that would expand the the response. Right, right. But you you again, possibly has been in place since last year. Why wasn't it used? Why no, not put out a well, survey? I, I, we we only just signed the contract. We only just made the contract with Posit in the last couple of months. Or yes, I'm saying so. Posit has been in place since last year. It was like late November, <laughs> early December. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, but I think Posit was up and running. Uh, yeah. And uh, so I, whether or not uh, the questions were asked, but when you say last year, uh, yes, I, I guess it was in December or yeah, it was November last calendar that year. started that. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah I, I, see, what I don't understand is, and what I'm confused about is, well, then how do you make, so here you are making life and death decisions. It's just where we are with it, Eve. I mean, this is a life and death decision as it relates to going back to school. It's bigger than just the social and emotional well-being. It's life and death. Will you agree with that? 
it's life and death, and it's social and emotional. And the other reality is it so is, is life and death. Life, it's, it's life and death. I, I'm, I'm giving you that. Right, That's right. why nobody's sleeping very well. Right, right. But so the reality death. is it is also life-changing. It's, oh, so but it's life and children, death. So I, I want to finish the question. It's life and death. So what I'm trying to figure out is how do you make a life and death um, decision but you you don't you don't have any real parent input, and then the CFT, which is the largest student, I mean, a teachers union, right? Uh, nearly eighty percent, seventy eight percent of the respondents in their survey said they wanted to wait till March. So if you're not listening to the majority of the teachers and you're not listening to the parents, how do you make a life and death decision? So how would you make this decision then? You, you make the decision based upon the experts that you are uh, listening to. You make the decision based upon the kinds of efforts and money and time and thinking that has been invested in making our schools safe. You, you also, very frankly, uh, have to agree that necessarily, uh, how shall I say it, we don't conduct a plebiscite as much as what we do is that we have to listen to everyone, not particular advocacy groups. Like parents? And I would, I would, I would suggest, too, that uh, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned that anybody thinks necessarily that the vast majority of the parents don't want to have returned to school. Well, uh, but we don't know because you guys didn't do a survey. Had you done a survey in December and utilized the tools that you are paying for, which is possible, then we would have at least some data to use. But you guys didn't do that. The school board didn't do that. You didn't push for that. And to me, I think that's a huge error. I don't understand why this is not a normal situation, Eve. This is life and death, a pandemic. So in extraordinary times, we should use extraordinary measures. So what's the use of paying for POSSIP as a district if you're not going to use it during these extraordinary times? That would have been very valuable had you done this in December or early January. It would have been very valuable in getting a snapshot of what the parents want because we are the individuals and those are our children that are, that are going to be in a school building. Our, our opinion should matter. It should weigh very heavily on the decision that the school board makes, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And you have to keep in mind that um, I'll give you that maybe if the if what we look back and think we didn't do a POSIT survey specifically, and I don't know that we didn't. I don't know what the topics of POSIT necessarily have been, but if you're talking about a separate or a POSIT survey specifically about return or don't return, the, the reality is that we should have done that. We should have done that. But I'm also going to say that we have a history of, regardless of the survey mechanism or the tool, let alone one that's only six weeks old in our system, is necessarily going to get the kind of representation that you would hope would get. But sure, if a survey would have helped, but also that survey might be telling us, well, don't go back to school. And indeed, and to your point, it is life and death. But to us, it's also life-changing. Our kids have lost so much instructional time. And as a person that spent my teaching career in a suburban district, um, I know what our kids are up against when they compete against other school systems and the products of other school systems that are strong and whatever. When you tell me, as a former high school teacher, 
that my junior is going to lose basically a year of in-person. And, and somehow they're going to have to be competing, whether it's, a, you know, a, a tests or whether it's college admission or whether our athletes might not get a scholarship because they're not playing. That's life-changing. It's not, and frankly, the life and death thing is absolutely true. I completely agree with that, and it's, that's why it's been so difficult. But we've done it. But the issue is it's also been life-changing for not only our children who are losing instruction and that social-emotional development and that sense of being at school and sometimes safe at school under regular conditions, it's also been life-changing for families that have given up income in order to facilitate this, in order to be home for their kids. I can name any number of folks that actually have given up not only their maybe their second income and whatever, but their only income because they're marginal on the on economics. So the reality is you can't only see this problem, this crisis, this pandemic, as whether it's about COVID only. There are, it, it, how this has affected women in the employment uh, areas, how this has affected economic development is important, but more importantly is that our children are having a life-changing experience because they are getting less instruction and less fulsome instruction by remote. That's, that's a cost too, and it has to be measured. Yeah, I, you know, I've learned that from speaking with your colleagues that many of them, and it sounds like you as well, you're starting from the position that the most important thing is to get the kids back into the school building as soon as possible. And no. From- no let, me, let me clarify that. We had five guidelines since August. And one of those was return to school as soon and as well as possible. The other ones were like being fiscally responsible, sure. But the other, the number one was, was health and safety. And then we were concerned about equity. And the other is following data. Those five guideposts are what's guided us. That's why it can't just be this one linear issue, although it's the most supreme to your point. It's life and death. But there are other things that are also being um, uh, 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 produced as a result of the remote versus uh, the in-person. And our interest in having some semblance of reality and normalcy for our kids, uh, certainly throughout the year. And I commend everybody that's been able to do the remote and some more successful than other. But the other reality is you don't necessarily have 100% of your kids. You don't have 80% of your kids necessarily even clicking on. So Somebody let's writes. Just, let's, be, let's be real about what kind of instruction. Some of it's been great. Most of it's been more than average and, and super. But the reality is the attendance is an issue and also that our kids are, are, are going to be less competitive than some of these other kids. Well, you can't compete. You can't compete rough. when you're dead, Eve. I hear what you're saying, but you can't compete when you're dead. I'm with you too. And 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 you know, as a child, I care less about a scholarship than I do if my mom and dad and grandparents are in the hospital or dead because they've been compromised by COVID. So I hear what you're saying in terms of you had these data point, you had these five indicators, but in terms of the practical what you actually have been saying this morning and, and the criteria that we use, it seems to be something else. 
Corey writes, economic development is important to whom when it comes to our collective health. So I hear you about economic development, but this is a health crisis. Let's deal with the health crisis first, and then we'll talk, we'll talk about the economic development. So here's a question about the teachers. And what concerns me is that I think the teachers are getting a raw deal. So when it comes to police officers in our society, we give police officers wide latitude to tell us that they're the experts for their environment, right? And I know this is out of your purview, so I'm making a larger parallel here, right? In our society, we value that police officers are the experts and that they know better about their working conditions and environment and that they instruct everybody else, including the politicians. We don't do that with teachers. You know, what I don't understand is if... Why do you believe that the majority of teachers wanted to wait until March? And why wasn't that a major factor in your decision-making process? Well, they want to wait till March. Uh, Initially, uh, that was, they wanted to wait as long as they could in remote and that was even before we were able to bring the vaccination issue up. So let's be real clear about that. Even before the vaccination thing happened, and to the credit of the superintendent, it happened. And to the credit of the governor, it happened. The reality is, until that was part of it, people were already talking about not wanting to return. And the issue was community spread. And which I, I value. Uh, that's, that was important. Then when the vaccination possibility came, they wanted to wait till they would have two vaccinations. The reason that we don't want to wait until that, the latest possible time, first of all, there was no guarantee that vaccinations were going to be happening. And now there, I hope that there will be. The reason we didn't feel we had to wait is because we are convinced that our buildings are safe. And we believe strongly that they are safe, and we believe strongly that you can prove throughout the country, and certainly here, that it's not where the spread has occurred. Where we've had a continuing athletic program, the spread has not happened. So the reality is that data that we're following is following that guidelines of wanting to get back to in-person, and frankly, many a lot, to your point, perhaps this should have been a survey, families want that to happen, and children want that to happen, and teachers want to happen. And to that CFT survey, when you're taking a survey and you ask people their names and their employment number, their employee number, you're not going to get necessarily a representative sampling. I'm just going to tell you. Well, do you know what the sample size was in the CFT survey? Uh, I've I've heard three different uh, survey results, and it would be good to know the number of the sampling. Yeah, I mean, I think we should start there before we criticize the results. I hear what you're saying. Uh, uh, What you're saying, but if we don't, if you can't tell me what that data point is, then how can you criticize it? It would be inappropriate for a board member at this time, at any time, to start to ask the internal questions regarding CFT. My point is you're putting a lot of uh, emphasis on particular surveys or particular input. There's been significant input. We can have more input. But I want to verify or validate the idea that once a decision was made, the decision having been made, the issue has now turned to reversing or reconsidering 
or now delaying until after the vaccinations. And before that, it was about community spread. Okay, so you believe, and I've been trying to get the, uh, I mean, there's a lot of questions coming in here. Somebody writes, uh, Rick Jeanette writes, her perception, meaning you, Eve, of our families is messed up and very condescending. I, I know it sounds that way, and I'm sorry that it sounds that way, but I will tell you that year after year after year, a portion of our population gets to be heard more than the majority of the population. And we have tried to work through that. No, no, no. I think, she, I, I think she's referring to when you said that you believe it's safer. And you, I think you mentioned like low income families. You I said, did not say low income. Do not put words. I said, depending upon your situation in a home, I in my home. I think you did. I hope I didn't say low yeah, income. Yeah, yeah, I think I, you either. did. And so they're responding to your perception well, that because they may there might be some economic challenges in households in CPS households that those households are inherently less safe than those kids being in a school building. There's a lot of people commenting on that. Well, uh, I'll be happy to say that it doesn't necessarily mean low income. It meant that it, I think I was talking about living conditions and situations where there's great activity or where you cannot secure a small bubble or when indeed kids have to travel on public transit, which is probably the most dangerous thing possible versus having a private, uh, you know, car or what have you. So I will say, uh, and I'll stand by the fact that unfortunately uh, in Cincinnati public as in other places, uh, it invariably is a smaller group of people that get to advocate more loudly Oh, well, we know that. And that's why I think, you know, using new technology like possible, yeah. which the uh, board is paying for, the district is paying for, the taxpayers are t- paying for. I think that when you get these new tools, it's important to put them in place and actually use them so you can get a sense of how the public that you serve and these families that you serve actually feel about it. Um, I still after hearing your rationale, I talked to Ben Lindy. I talked to all your colleagues. And Mm -hmm. I still don't understand what it seems as if it's a gamble. I'll be straight honest with you. It seems like the board is gambling by starting on February 1st rather than March 1st. Now, this is where we are because it's February 2nd and we're here now. But as a parent, Mm -hmm. as a community member, as someone who's had these interviews, I still haven't heard any good reason other than just individual board members feel a certain way as to why we should start now as to opposed to starting in March. I don't see what would have been lost and I don't think that too much would have been gained. And I have two children in the system. And so I'm still struggling to understand that. I, I, then we're not obviously being able to state our position very well. If indeed it appears that we're working on feelings, that's part of it for sure. And you're the one that, you know, uses the feelings piece by saying rightfully so it's life and death. It is. We are basically saying that the major reason to go back in February is for safety. And we've said that because the superintendent, rightfully so, has been adamant about not returning all of our students at once and that we need a phase in, starting with our youngest kids and our specialized classes, which, by the way, we've heard that since August. We were even uh, urged to continue our preschool. So we are following that advice from the community and, and frankly, our teachers of special ed kids 
and other certain special conditions and circumstances. So the, the reason we go back in February versus March is for safety and to begin that transition back so that maybe, maybe by the fourth quarter, we can be back even more of a full-time piece. So that's the justification. And we have followed the experts. And we have followed the data. We have followed the advice. We have figured out, you know, we've kept on the full, rightfully so, the full complement of our personnel because we have always been committed to getting back to in-person when we could. Most of our colleagues in Hamilton County have been back. Yeah, I'll talk about that. The reality is they are back, they have been back, and more power to them. We have not been able to be back, in part because we're larger, we have a transportation issue that has to be addressed. Uh, it, it's because, um, you know, the, the, we have such a diversity of population. So there's reasons we've not been able to keep up with our regional uh, competitors and colleagues. But if, if you're wondering why February 1 versus March 1 is that we want very strongly a phase back grade by grade, if we can, over 30 days, which is safest, and then uh, hopefully uh, have uh, be in full uh, efforts uh, by uh, March 1 and then be able to get through part of March before our spring break. And then if the creek don't rise and the, whatever other could possibly happen, in this life and death situation, maybe by fourth, be the fourth quarter. So it's an instructional piece too. You got the AP kids that fourth quarter. You've got uh, the spring sports. You've got the, a lot of testing taking place. You've got your teachers, uh, you know, developing uh, their silva for the next uh, year. There's a reason to try to at least get some normalcy. But I, I doubt that we'll ever be five days back. But I think the hope is that. From this, we might be able to emerge with a uh, implement, I should say, a, a 4-1 kind of system for that fourth quarter. That's the hope. So, again, I still don't understand. So I thought that the reason – you're saying that the reason why you voted to go back March 1st is because of safety. I thought that the reason or one of the reasons and a rationale as to why the school system went virtual was because of safety. And, I th- and from what I'm hearing from the teachers, the reason why they wanted to wait until March 1st was because of safety. It seems counterintuitive to me. Uh, I, now, how how is reason- it about safety and in, in the teachers are going to be back in classrooms before they're fully vaccinated? How is that a safety decision? How, how does that preserve their safety if they're in front of children who are not going to be tested before they get vaccinated? Well, if the only thing you're working from is safety, we should actually shut the whole thing down. Not even now go through from the, the, no. I'm not. Think about this. Now you talking. About this. Now you making sense, Eve? Well, the whole shutting the whole thing down is what we initially had to do back in March before we even knew much of this. The point is, no. Here's no. I'm not done talking. Here's what I said about safety. Is that we. Then we're going back February 1st because of safety so that we can be in place and be safe by March 1st. If we had to wait till March 1st, it would be another 30-some days to phase people back in. And the reality is on the vaccination piece or community spread, we do stand by very strongly that our buildings are safe, 
and that we are also in a position of delivering the best and most fulfilling of the instruction by having both in-person and blended rather than all remote. We will have more kids doing one or the other or both. And the reality is that's also a cost to us, to the children, if we're not having appropriate instruction. So it's safety, it's instruction, it's equity, it's recognizing all of our uh, families, uh, not the ones that are just most vocal, and not just that school or some other school. And I doubt very seriously that we'll shut the district down again. And I think we've talked about that. What will happen is that we will uh, carefully be looking building by building, which we already are able to do based upon board policy because of just general uh, health conditions and flu conditions and flu season. Right. Yeah, you know, as I understand, again, I'm still struggling with this, but as I understand, okay. if you start on a March 1st, you can still phase it in. You know, the the whole phase thing, I think that whenever CPS goes back, phasing in makes perfect sense. But you could just as easily phase in on March 1st and would allow 28 days or four weeks for a couple things to happen. One, for us to for the teachers to get vaccinated and then two, for us to get a better sense of what's happening in the community as well, because as you know, it you've got different variants of covid that are now been introduced into the United States, the UK variant and also the Brazil variant. And we don't know what that means uh, for Hamilton County or Cincinnati over the next two to three months or even one month. We have no idea if we're going to be impacted. And quite honestly, the research is inconclusive, as you might, you might imagine, because the scientists are dealing with a new variant and have yet to really test what that means in terms of the vaccinations that people are taking right now. So we really have no idea. We still have a lot of questions out there about this, Eve, but uh, I kind of understand what you're saying a little bit. Are you concerned about these variants that are being now being absolutely and apparently the one that's most frightening is the one coming out of south africa so yes there that's that's a serious issue but keep this in mind i thought it was the i thought the most concerning one was the uk one now i'm hearing about the south africa one but the the uk one is from what i'm hearing that's the one that uh, researchers are really really concerned about and is having more of an impact in the united states to this point I think it's having more of an impact and there's a bigger volume and it's really set uh, Great Britain back. But I, I, from a danger standpoint, I, I could be wrong. I thought it was the South African and the other one from Brazil one. is of, of concern uh, too. But yeah, but let me, let me go back to the February and March piece. Again, I'm glad you understand about and, and, and agree, sort of agree or whatever about phasing in instead of all everybody coming back all at once. I think that I think on that the superintendent is, is quite clear. But why February one versus March one? The reason is if you await and do that until March one, think about it. You are March one. You ha- you would phase back for three weeks or four weeks or whatever. In the midst of March, you have spring break, and then then you're going to be starting fourth quarter somewhere in between the phasing. So from an instructional standpoint, that's a problem. But let me go back to the variants. The variants, which are frightening, no question about it, and the only answer to that is for us to get as many people vaccinated as possible. I'm glad that the country's trying to work on that and do better. But the, the, the variant piece has only arisen in the last few weeks. The reality is the concern about going back predates 
when we got worried about variants. And it predates, uh, going back, it, it predates when we were uh, now in red and, and perhaps not in purple. So I, I think there are any number of things that we can cite and talk about, but the issue for us is, is weighing the risk regarding safety uh, versus instructional loss, but also our belief that our buildings and the protocols we put in place are safe. Did you believe, okay, we would, be, did you believe that the uh, the building was safe and the protocols were safe last year when the board uh, made the decision to come out of virtual and then go back into a blended model? Blended model. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, yes, so yes, we, I did because and you were wrong the, about the, that. Eve. Why? Why was I wrong about that? Because you went back to virtual. You went back well, to. We went learning. back to virtual because of, in part, community spread, which was out of control. But we also went back to virtual because we did not have enough staff members that could show up on a given day because you had the 14-day quarantine, you had staff members that were sick, or they knew somebody that was sick. So the reality is we, and we said this very clearly when we had to do this, and this was to the superintendent's credit, she could not man the buildings because of the attendance, rifle, lack of attendance, or whatever you want to call it, regarding um, our, our staffing. We didn't go out because we had spread there. We were doing the tracing, and the reality was the, the community spread was what was causing that, and the also the very extensive quarantine rules of 14 days instead of 10 or what have you. We did not shut our buildings because they were not safe. We shut our buildings because we didn't have enough staff in each one of them. Yeah, and I think that you're was splitting hairs on that. I mean, you shut the buildings because yeah, it was splitting hairs. You shut the buildings because of COVID. Now, whether it was because of infections that were taking place in the school building or the community impact on the school building, it all comes back down to COVID. But it doesn't come back down to the issue that you raised, which is school building safety. Yeah. We did not. We shut down. We shut down because of COVID. But we didn't shut down because the COVID spread was in our buildings. We didn't shut down because uh, we decided that our buildings were unsafe. They were safe, and we had the data to prove it. We had to shut down because of the absence of staff for very good reason, because of all of the parameters that are set around the quarantine and, and uh, other issues regarding fighting COVID. All of it was justifiable. But no, I uh, we were safe when we opened. We were uh, uh, facing a lack of uh, staffing capacity when we closed. And now that we are opening, uh, indeed, you know, that might be one of our challenges is when we look at the safety and the staffing and what have you. But uh, uh, we're ready to, to move on. But our buildings are safe. Uh-huh. Okay. So uh, are, are the quarantine protocols the same now uh, as we are in February as they were last year or have they changed? The court, the national ones and the medical ones uh, are are different. I think like the, how long you have to stay in quarantine mm-hmm. uh, is, is shorter now. Um, they've said certain things too about feeling ill or not feeling ill. Uh, those sorts of things have changed nationally as to the protocols. Our protocols in our buildings as to receiving temperature uh, takes. We've received a grant now to do much more testing. Uh, on, a, on a daily basis, uh, the the spatial relations and the spatial uh, adjustments, the issues regarding having a nurse in every one of our uh, our buildings, 
the fact that we have 25 or 24 school-based health centers and 24 or so of our of our of our buildings, those sorts of things. Our protocols, temperature taking, as I mentioned, distance, hopefully on the buses, and finding a way to make sure that is safe. Those sorts of things remain in place, and that's why even when there was not specific direct work for all of our staff to do, we kept all of our staff because we wanted to maintain our our capacity to return, and we wanted to, and very frankly, during COVID, you have to overstaff because you have to do so much more. And so that's what we're facing in the next budget as we as we start to look at it, because I'm, frankly, I'm assuming everybody's still going to be masking when we reopen in August, if that's when we reopen. I mean, if, if we're focusing, if we're focusing on, um, if we're focusing on public health, absolutely so. So let's talk about CDA because we've been talking about this, and you know, I don't want to go round and round in circles and beat be dead horses. I mean, just to be plain, I hear what you say, and I respect your time and your expertise. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, Eve. I just leave it like that. But let's talk it's about okay. CDA, uh, Cincinnati Digital Academy. So there's a real issue because parents feel like it is. Uh, an inferior choice, especially if you are, uh, you know, a, you, you, you're a parent of a student that is uh, in AP courses or in language courses or some other type of courses. I know a lot of Wana Hills parents are very concerned about this in the near future, as in the rest of this school year. Is it are we going to see a scenario where CDA will be made available where parents and students can remain in their homeschool this school year? The board has asked for that, and the community has asked for that uh, probably, I think, since late October, um, if not earlier or somewhere a little bit later. Uh, and indeed, the administration has um, responded and tried to figure that out. And what you're saying basically is to, and this is what we would like and what we want, and we've been told that it is not possible at this time fully to be able to have both remote in, in a way that is even normal, remote and in-person um, from home site, home, I, I hate to say homeschool, but home site uh, or school site. And we, we have not been able to do it for technological reasons, staffing reasons, financial reasons, and what have you. And it remains a disappointment for us. Uh, I would assume, too, that it's a top priority as we continue to look in terms of uh, the later part of this year. But uh, there's also an area where, very frankly, uh, the advice, <laughs> ironically, the advice about it not being so possible has come from teachers as well as administration because instructionally it's, it's so difficult. But I've always used the example or the excuse that it's a technological uh, issue that we can address perhaps in the next budget. Uh, but keep in mind um, on CDA, uh, whether if it's not good enough for Walnut, it's not good enough for uh, my alma mater of Aiken, or it's not good enough for Woodward. Uh, CDA is a, a, a site that we've had for a number of years. It has been overnight expanded with hundreds of new staff members being assigned, with trying to cope with this having almost a dual system, I think they've done remarkable efforts uh, in, in getting to where they are. Is it the same as my being able to go to Aiken or somebody else being able to go to Walnut or go to Woodward or what have you? 
Uh, no, it's not the same. And it, but it, I think we are doing what we can do instructionally to at least provide the remote that is needed to at least at least stay in the ball game. And I I think there's a tremendous interest in creating a fully dual distance CPS uh, uh, kindergarten to, to 12th grade in our, in our, in our plans. Yeah, and I, I think that. they've done a remarkable job to bring CDA up, but uh, that's been our disappointment is not being able to deliver both at site. But the major argument there has been instructionally, it's so difficult. Plus the staffing is so extensive. So have you, was your decision impacted in any way from any communications that you got from parents? I know that people contacted you probably via email or maybe social media. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it in was. the early, the early months, it was impacted to get our kids back to school. And that was from, for the most part, the wallet people. And then that has shifted because it's been relatively successful, I guess, for many of, of the parents and the kids. We're impacted every day. I have, I have, I won't say read thoroughly, but I certainly have uh, looked and skimmed and thought about uh, probably the many hundreds of letters that we've received, and we've maintained a log of those and a running count of those. Uh, and yes, most of them are, are reconsider this or reconsider that. Seldom do we get the thank you for doing this. Uh, <laughs> those, the, those are few and far between. That's why thank you notes are so small. Um, but um, I, I think uh, I can honestly say I've been greatly influenced by by what the community wants and has suggested to us. I've been greatly influenced by what our leadership uh, and our experts have said and, and what children's hospital people have said. Uh, and I've been greatly influenced, too, by... Uh, the dialogue that my fellow board members and I have had to get seven of us to be able to have the kind of dialogues. I know school boards that are falling apart because of the, the nature of, of this issue. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very open. You can't be a social studies teacher for most of your life and not be influenced by what everyone is saying. But, indeed, it has to be what everyone is saying. Right, I That's get it. the piece. Well, I mean, you, you're not going to get everyone. So I think to me, a, a majority, you know, would be a majority based upon health. You know what I'm saying? You, I think as a leader mm-hmm. in these days and times, pandemic, it's all about health. There's a lot of factors, but health is number one, because if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Someone wants to know, um, someone says the board is ignoring data. The blended model actually showed that attendance was significantly lower than virtual. There is district data that supports that. So the board opting to return to blended is not about instruction. Well, I would disagree about it. It's not about instruction. It is. I would agree that the short period of time that we had blended, uh, that attendance was less overall. I think this is true. I think they're right about that. Overall, for the limited time we had blended, it was less than uh, when we had full remote, but I don't know that that's still true regarding where we are remote now, because I also am very, very cognizant of the fact, like every other city, well, maybe every other city school district, let alone, you know, we're not just a city, but we're kind of a regional one because we have, you know, 15 other communities besides Cincinnati uh, city. Um, we have, that other districts are 
have this too. There are more than a thousand or so kids that we don't know where they are. So these are the kinds of things people have to understand. These kids have dropped off the chart and they're not anywhere else, let alone how many kids are actually, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, clicking in uh, and clicking on. So the attendance issue is is being followed very carefully. Uh, And uh, yeah, they may be right about that, but I don't think it's incredibly different, but I think it was less during blended uh, for the short period of time that yeah, we were there. That's consistent to my knowledge as well. People want to know yeah. what is your role? So are you going to be out of the schools volunteering and, and putting yourself at risk like you've asked the teachers to do? Sure. Okay. So you plan to be out and about uh, at the schools. What schools will you be visiting and what will you be doing? My, my level of expertise with the exception of where at least our two uh, kids of, of our family are in the lower grades. My level of expertise and tremendous interest is at the high school. So I'll be out around the high schools. I'm not going to say that um, I won't be. I'm going to also say that I've been out and about significantly as we can. And I look forward to doing that. I I love that. Matter of fact, I went to one basketball game and and the, properly so, the security guard it, it didn't let me in because I wasn't, I wasn't a you know a uh, member of the press or a scout. Uh, so uh, yeah, um, uh, I will be out, and I, mostly I spend whatever time I have visiting uh, schools. Generally, are the high schools because that's where my interest is and whatever old time expertise I might have. Okay. But sure, yeah, and very okay, frankly, the board will be going back to in person as well. That's good to hear. And then last question, I've got a guest lined up. I don't want to keep him waiting um, any longer. But just last question about the three-feet rule at Warner Hills. Cause I, heard you say, I heard you say earlier that you're concerned about that. So do you think sure. that three feet of space, and that's what Walnut Hill is looking at, do you think that's a safe distance uh, for our students to go back into the school building? I would answer it the way that the Children's Hospital people have said, that the Probably six is safer, but three is not unsafe by virtue of uh, if you're doing the masking and the other kinds of protocol. But on the three feet for Walnut, uh, if indeed that's what we do, uh, and we won't know till the administration returns with what the plan looks like for six feet. And indeed, I've heard some Walnut folks are proposing some different ways of even scheduling uh, instruction. Uh, we, that's still an ongoing effort, but yeah, I think six feet is certainly safer than three feet, but I don't believe under masking conditions and other protocols like testing and uh, temperatures and also adjusting, um, the bell schedule and, and, and passing time. I don't think that it is inherently unsafe. But you admit that it's not the safest option because say six feet would be safer. I'm trying to make sure I I, I nail you down on this. Sure. And, and we've, we've said that publicly. Six feet is safer, okay. but it doesn't necessarily mean that three feet is unsafe if you have all of the other protocols in line. Okay. 
All right. Well, listen, Eve, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I think I know you said you're not super Facebook proficient, but it will be, I think, very valuable to you to find this stream. I'll send you a link and read these comments. Uh, These are. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, you should. You should. You should. You'll get you'll get a real interesting viewpoint that hopefully could be valuable to you. But uh, I wish us all the best. I wish us all the best. Uh, I still believe that the school board is gambling. Uh, but I hope that we come up snake eyes and we actually come out good on this. Uh, but I appreciate your time. Yes, and good luck to your kids. And I really appreciate all the time you afforded me. And any time that I can do it, I would love to be back. Yeah, appreciate you. Thank you so much. That's Eve Bolton, everybody. Appreciate her uh, for her time. Coming up, and I don't want to keep this brother waiting because I really respect everybody's time. And then you know uh, the sponsor for the Nathan Ivey Show is uh, Otis Wellburn Jr., Realtor. And uh, we'll play the spot real quick, and we'll go to Otis himself. You can talk to the man behind the jingle right after this. It's that well-born experience. Well-born. It's that well-born experience. Well-born. Uh, uh, uh. The well-born experience. Well-born. Experience. Well-born. Experience. Well-born. It's that well-born experience. Well-born. Yeah. The well-born experience. Well-born. Yeah. The well-born experience. Well-born. Experience. Well-born. Experience. Uh-huh. Tell us what you need. That's the question we start with. Yeah. We specialize selling condos, houses, apartments. Uh-huh. Make sure that you're happy with your residence. Keep it real. No filter. Oh, it's the realtor from the natty is heaven sent. Ha. It's the well-born experience. Ain't nothing like it. Nothing. Every time he talk to his client, he's so excited just knowing he able to put him in a place to lay their head. Not focusing on his profits, but on the client instead. Right. He keeps it so professional and from his conversation. Uh. You can tell he studies before sharing information. Educated, motivated, ain't nobody better. Who's willing to walk you through every step to relieve the pressure? Relieve the pressure. Yeah. And just so you know it's real, real. you get a special personalized rug once he closes the, the deal. So go on, call him up so he can get you live. Yeah. 513-252-1055. Again, that's 513-252-1055. And uh, coming to the stage, I've got him with me now, Otis Wellburn himself. Hey, Otis, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Oh, you know it, brother. You know it. Sorry about that. You know, we had to finish up with, with Eve, man. We got some some major issues we're dealing with here in C in Cincinnati. And uh I wanted to make sure we we got to it. So I, um my apologies on having you wait a little bit, but thank you for that. I appreciate your time this morning. So let's talk about it, man. The man behind the jingle, man. That jingle is <laughs> is stuck in my head. You know, it's funny. People will send me messages like, I can't get this jingle out of my head. So it's very, very catchy. But, of course, there's some really serious, uh, you know, things that you offer for people um, behind that. So first, just tell us about yourself, man. Uh, are you from Cincinnati? What's your connection? Yeah, born and raised in Cincinnati. Born and raised in Cincinnati. Um, I graduated from Cincinnati in 1990. You know, I used to be in law enforcement back in Cincinnati. I was in law enforcement for 11 years. And I decided to do something different. I wanted to do
I love to hear that, man. Black excellence all day, every day. I'm loving it. So what made you decide? So you were in law enforcement and then went to real estate. Was that something you had a passion for? Why did you make the jump to real estate as opposed to something, something else? Okay. And so you, you were telling me before you have a Cincinnati, Michigan connection. So you have offices in both cities. Okay. Okay. That's super dope. That's super dope. So there's a link in the description to his website this morning, folks, if you're interested. So, so tell us what you offer to people. Uh, or, or do you offer the opportunity for people to find their dream homes? Do you offer the opportunity for commercial real estate? What is it that you offer? Okay, that's dope. So, I mean, to me, you know, um, having a home um, is an essential part of that middle class uh, portfolio. So, I think it's very, very, can be very, very key. Do you recommend, and again, I, I guess I know that the answer to this question, but can you talk about that? Like, from your from your vantage point and your experience, you know, what role does that play in terms of uh, people's personal wealth building portfolio and even legacy building, you know, building something that you can leave for your children or if not your grandchildren? So let me just just paint a picture here and you tell me, you know, you know what I need to do. So I'm a first time home buyer. Right. I've never owned a property before. I've never owned a home before. I grew up in a family where we've never owned a home before. But I realize that this is a goal for me. What are some of the in terms of credit? What are some of the details that I need to have in place before I make that first purchase? And then. What would you recommend that people target? Now, obviously, people are going to target the kind of home in the neighborhood they want to be in, right? You know, more is more. But what would you recommend that people put in place, you know, as they start that process for their first home?
kind of breaking up a little bit, brother. Yeah, you're kind of breaking up a little bit. You you sound and look good now. And how much money do you think that someone should save before they start that process to dealing with someone like yourself or and really get serious in terms of choosing homes and things like that? Are we talking about 10 grand at least or how much how much is it more is more? Is there a minimum amount? At least seventy five hundred dollars. Okay, and then you said multifamily. I like the way that sounds, Otis, because multifamily sounds like checks coming in on a regular basis. Um, do you think that real estate is still a good thing for people to get into these? I mean, because it seems like in the city of Cincinnati, like, and and if so, in the city of Cincinnati, are there particular neighborhoods that you would tell people to kind of look at for investment? I mean. Um, well, Otis, listen, I appreciate it, man. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience in terms of yeah. contacting you? Yeah, absolutely. I know you were talking about the book that you got. So, shout out to Donnie Harper. Donnie Harper is uh, not only is he a master, but he's a Christian rapper. He's the, one, he's the person that owns Good Apparel downtown. Um, I believe it's on Vine or Race, I'm not sure, but he owns Good Apparel. He's the guy behind the door. I told him a name. And that brother, he tore it up. You know? Yeah, he did. Um, kudos to him. It's real catchy. Anyone, anybody that knows me personally knows that I like to do all my unorthodox uh, marketing. I feel like those are the things that make you stand out. So if you're looking to buy or sell a home, if you're looking to commercial build, if you're looking for uh, a multifamily, please give me a call. My team are ready. Um, we want to do a COVID approved facility. We want to do a tour. We want to do some personal tour. We want to come by the office. We got you. Um, you know, feel free to log on to my website and search. You know, set up an account, search, look at houses. You know, most importantly, you can reach out to me uh, on my cell phone five one three two five two ten fifty five. All right, Otis. Thank you for your time, man. I appreciate you, and uh, I'll be in contact, brother. You already know.
Yeah, most deaf. That's that's Otis Wellburn, everybody. Oh, you got it, man. That's Otis Wellburn, everybody. That's Otis Wellburn. You can check. You heard from the man himself. Uh, he's been sponsoring the show now for the last couple of weeks and will continue to be a sponsor. You can give him a call this morning at 513-252-1055. You can almost you can all you can always email him at teamwellburn at gmail.com. And their website is thewellburnexperience.com. Uh, I love black excellence stories, especially during Black History Month. As a matter of fact, we here at CDM, we want to make black history during Black History Month. Keep watching. Keep watching. We've got uh, something new that we want to unveil uh, very, very soon. We're going to do it during Black History Month. Again, we want to make black history during Black History Month. I want to say this again. I am 100% laser focused on the task at Ham family. 100%. If you are a creator or creative, if you've thought about doing a podcast or you're doing a podcast or a live stream show, hit me up in the DM. Perhaps we can work together and to amplify your voice in a way that's mutually beneficial. If you are a journalist, if you are a journalist, you ever thought about doing any citizen journalism, hit me up. I've got an idea that perhaps you might, you might want to rock with. You know, if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking for creative ways to connect with your customers or to create audiences around your service and products, I've got some creative ideas. Hit me up in the DM. If you're a videographer, if you're super crazy with the video and then editing the video, hit me up. Let's work together. If you're an audio uh, producer, like you're super crazy when it comes to doing podcasts and then editing them, editing them, perhaps we can work together. But if you are a creator or a creative person, I would love to speak with you. Hit me up in the DMs. I'll respond today and set up a time for us to connect. Now, speaking of today, I want to give you a heads up. Coming up at 1 p.m. today, uh, Midday Juice would ask Ashley. Yeah, let's give you a little bit of the cover art, uh, sneak preview for you. It's up on CDM's page as well. Dear Ashley, before we got married, I promised my wife that we could have an open marriage. Now, I've changed my mind, but she hasn't. Oh, yeah, the juice. You already know. Get ready for it. Also, brand new podcast coming, Melanin Insights with Britt and Cass. That's going to be super dope. Super dope. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, they get all into that melaninism. It's going to be super dope. Get ready for that. And also, let's welcome Tiffany Daniels. She's a host of Community Connector. She did her first podcast uh, with CDM just yesterday, and it was dope. It was dope. Also, the Valley Service Podcast coming up later on today at 7 p.m. with Fast Pitch. And um, the roster grows. Uh, we, I, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, thanks to Eve Bolton for being a guest today. She spent, I don't know, about 40 minutes with her, with us, and uh, she shared her opinion. It is what it is. Like, the decision's been made. You know, I'm all about, I, I'm not a sit around and wait on nobody kind of person. I'm not a sit around and cry in my soup and spilt milk kind of person. I'm about making decisions and getting it done. You know what I'm saying? So this decision was made. I'm the father of two children. I got to make it happen, Captain, for them, period. And that's what I've been doing, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. But let me circle back around here. If you are someone who's really upset, and I'm, I'm not happy at all, I question their logic, and I question, um, the, the, I, I question their logic, and I question their methods, speaking of the board. 
Okay, just being straight up with you. I don't like it. I don't think it make a lot of sense. Um, but the real decision in terms of what you can do, because you're not powerless. Don't think like you're powerless. Oh, you know, the judge ruled against the CFT injunction. You are not powerless. The number one question is, what are you going to do now? And to those individuals who are outraged, I would say keep that same energy and go build a grassroots movement that can give you more leverage with the school board. Uh, some of the things in our process is some of the things that uh, Eve Bolton said just straight up didn't make a whole lot of damn sense. I don't know what she was talking about. She's like she was talking in circles. It is what it is. We are where we are. You know, this whole thing about not talking with the CFT. I mean, somebody is not telling the truth or they're playing games with words because it's clear that the CFT feels as if they were not to the point where they brought a legal action. <laughs> so I, I think it's all about perspective. Um, not not uh, polling the parents. What's the you? Why are we paying for POSIP? And by we, I mean the taxpayers that support uh, the school system, CPS. Why are we paying for POSIP? POSIP is black owned, by the way. Some black girl magic. It's a black female that started that. POSIP is a uh, two words coming together: uh, positive gossip. And she started this as her own startup many years ago, couldn't get funding. And then about a year or so ago, I read that she came through with some major funding. And so it's taken off. And basically, it's a tool that organizations are using to connect with their audience. CPS uh, is paying for this. Why didn't they use this in December and January? What's the use of it? And then Eve's talking about she don't really trust this. So wait a minute. You don't trust a survey. But you do trust just anecdotal evidence from people coming to you and sending you emails. Didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, but we are, we are. At some point, she says something about uh, South Africa. I'm like, what is she talking about? You mean South America? Come on, let's not do that, girl, girlfriend. We ain't doing that. No, you're talking about the UK variant. That's what everybody's concerned about right now. We ain't going to play that stuff. We ain't going to play, even though it might be a minor point, I ain't here for it. So I had to quickly correct her on that one. Like, uh, sis, pick up the books, go on Google and know what you're talking about. South Africa. What in the hell? <laughs> I didn't know what the hell she was talking about, but it is what it is. Um, we are where we are. Um, you know, just some of the, uh, the logic. So she thinks it's, so the reason why that it sounds like political speak, we're going back on February because of safety. Uh, what? What? <laughs> you know, it is what it is. We are. We are. I laugh because nothing is funnier than the truth. And the truth is, is that, you know, these board members are being asked to defend the indefensible. They're asked to bring logic to the illogical. It just doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's what they decided. And I heard a whole lot of it is what it is. This is what I believe. While at the same time, uh, this whole thing between three feet and six feet. Mm, um, I don't know about you. But when it comes to my kids and my family, I do the safest thing. Like if safety is a spectrum and the safest is 10, we do 10. We don't do three. We don't do four. We do 10 on that spectrum. And so it's some of that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it is what it is. All right, one last call, and then I got to make a move, family. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the show. Morning, Nathan. It's Kev on the cell. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Kev. Good morning to you. Can you hear me? I do yeah, hear you, well. yeah. All right, fantastic. Uh, yeah, there is a South African strain, too, man, and it's supposed to be 
um, super aggressive. So yeah, um, it's always but, aggressive uh, when it comes know, from Africa. It's always aggressive when it comes from Africa. Grab <laughs> 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 <Yeah>, my mind. <laughs> Listen, family, I got to make a move. I really appreciate you. Have an excellent rest of your day. Have an excellent rest of your day. Make sure you check out Midday Juice. Make sure you keep your eyes on CDM, uh, independent media in the city of Cincinnati and beyond, amplifying black voices, and we're just getting started. Have an excellent rest of your day, family. Until next time, I'm Nathan Ivey, and I'm out.